0: Good morning, morning. happy Memorial Day to you. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, I always find the index helpful, or actually uh, I've got these handy tabs in my Bible so I can find it. But the index is good if you can't find it. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 20. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, first, we do want to remember the women and men, the families that have given so much, the ultimate sacrifice that we might be free as a nation. And we thank you for Memorial Day that memorializes those who have given of themselves, even to the point of death, that as a nation we might not only taste freedom, but have it as one of the tenets of our society. And we are grateful. Father, we're also grateful that we can gather with freedom to worship, to look at your inspired and errant word. And may the book of Habakkuk challenge us, encourage us, and equip us that we might live for you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Perhaps some of you know October 31, 2017, will be the 500th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses, his concerns, to the Wittenberg church door. He's not riding to split with the universal church. We're not at that point talking about Catholic and Protestant. We're talking about a unified church and he's concerned with it. By the way, one day after that 500th anniversary, November 1st, 2017, it will be a Wednesday night and we're going to have Oktoberfest, Martin Luther style in our church. It will be for One Way Club, Gen 180 families. If you're breathing, it's for you. And it will be not only learning about the Reformation, but also celebrating it and enjoying it, and even some Reformation era games. So I hope you'll put that on your calendar. Now if you think about that time, October 31st, 1517, it's just a date. Armchair wannabe historians like me, we like dates. But the truth is the Reformation actually has its roots several hundred years earlier and it continues to today. All the Reformation truly is is a rediscovery of the centrality of Scripture as the highest authority. Rather than it being a church or a person or a group, Scripture itself is our authority. It's also the rediscovering of the centrality of the gospel. Sola gracia, sola fide, solas Christus. Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone is the means of our salvation. And then we live out soli deo gloria to God's glory alone. That's what the Reformation is all about. Now, as you think about the Reformation, and specifically Dr. Luther, you realize that he was a church insider, a universal church insider. He was a monk. He was a priest. He eventually became a professor of sacred theology at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. And as a product of his time, he was concerned about earning his way into the presence of an angry God. He believed that God was angry. Never mind John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Never mind passages like that. He believed that God was angry at all individuals on the face of the earth. And so Martin Luther, as a product of his time, was always trying to earn God's favor through a series of penance, whether self-flagellation, where he literally beat himself, or staying in a small room that was chiseled out of rock, often devoid of a blanket in order to freeze at night and somehow please God, whether to empty his life of all forms of joy or pleasure, whether to spend hours every day in the confessional booth and pity the poor priest on the other side who drew the thin straw and had to listen to Luther for three or four hours at a time saying the same thing he said the day before, which he said the day before that, which he said the day before that. And so that was Martin Luther's life. And as an act of penance, perhaps to try and please God, He thought he would take a pilgrimage, his only one, to Rome. On the way there, he stopped in Bologna in the Alps, and he had a fever that night. And understand that Martin Luther had a vivid imagination, and a fever didn't help. And he pictured himself in front of a holy God who condemned him to hell. And he awoke the next morning with a fever, and he hastened on to Rome. And when he got to Rome, he saw all sorts of filth. He was not impressed. And trying to again earn his salvation, he went to the Papal Church, which is not St. Peter's Basilica. It's actually St. John Lateran. And in St. John Lateran, there are three sets of staircases, 28 steps apiece. The center staircase is called the Scalia Sancta, the Holy Stairs. If you've been with me to Israel... You've gone to the place of the judgment by Pilate of Jesus. It's actually 10 feet under the street as it presently sits, but you can go down where Pilate judged Jesus. And there are stone pillars there, and there are stone cuts that you step on. 28 of them were removed and brought from Jerusalem to St. John Lateran. I can tell you the stones are authentic. But the next part, the stones are stained red, purportedly the blood of Christ. I can't tell you the authenticity of that. But I do know that pilgrims in the 16th century would go to the Scalia Sancta, the Holy Stairs. They'd pay a fee, an indulgence, which essentially is buying righteous acts of those who don't need those righteous acts to get themselves to heaven. That's what an indulgence is. Martin Luther bought some indulgences and he began to go up the Scalia Sancta on his knees one step at a time. And with each step, he cited Romans 1.17. He could have also cited Galatians 3.13. He could have cited Hebrews 10.38. All of them read identically, The just shall live by faith. And as he went up those stairs, each stair he's saying, The just shall live by faith. God illumined his mind. And suddenly he realized, rather than having to earn his salvation, Jesus Christ had paid for it, and the just lived by faith faith in Jesus, faith in the finished work of Christ, faith in what Jesus did on the cross, faith in the resurrection. And faith in salvation by receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, and Martin Luther is born again. Now I told you he could have cited not only Romans 1.17, but Galatians three thirteen, Hebrews ten thirty eight. All use the same words. And where did they get the words? Habakkuk chapter two, verse four: "The just shall live by faith." Let's pick up and I want to read Habakkuk 2, verses 2, 3, and 4. Let's look at the first giving of these words in Scripture. And the Lord answered me, Habakkuk, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous or the just shall live by his faith. Let's recall for a moment the setting of this book. Habakkuk is writing sometime between the fall of Assyria or Nineveh In 612 BC, they fell to Babylon. And the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, they also fell to Babylon. He's writing sometime in that time period, sometime during the last four kings of Judah, all of which are ungodly kings. And you remember that the job of a prophet is to speak from God to man. That's what prophets do. They speak from God to man, but he got it a little backwards, and he thought he would speak from man to God. Specifically, he thought, I'll speak from Habakkuk to God, and I want to tell you, God, that I'm not really sure that you're just, that you're right, that you're acting godly. So far, he's had two problems with God. First, he looks at the two southern tribes, Judah, that he is a part of. He sees their wickedness. And he wonders why God doesn't pull the trigger a little quicker. I mean, if Habakkuk were God, they would have gone nuclear a long time earlier. Judah would have been snuffed out. And we noted of all the lousy characteristics, God is slow to anger and abounding in love. And Habakkuk hates that and we love it. The second problem he has with God is that when God finally does bring his chastising rod against Judah, he uses Babylon as that chastising rod. And from Habakkuk's point of view, Babylon is the archetypical evil city, and God's using the archetypical evil city to chastise an evil, but decidedly less evil Judah. And he's scandalized. And so he essentially says, God, I don't think you're acting just. I don't think you're acting right. I don't think you're acting godly. And so he decides, chapter 2, verse 1, that he's going to go up on his rampart, and he's going to wait till God answers him. Now, we noted last week that a rampart is around a wall. It's the part towards the top of the wall where archers stand, to take out the enemy below. It's where lookouts scan the horizon to make sure an army isn't sneaking against the city. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand on the rampart and I'm going to wait, God, until you answer me. I would not suggest doing that, especially in a hot Middle Eastern sun. Habakkuk, I hope you have an umbrella. I hope you have a chaise lounge. It's going to be a while. And God says Habakkuk. You don't really have the right to ask me to answer you. In fact, you don't have the the mental capacity to understand all I'm doing. Let me offer an illustration. Let's suppose for a moment that I give you one piece of a puzzle. You're going to get one. That's it. That's all I'm giving you. The puzzle box does not have a piece of the puzzle. But this is a simple puzzle. 200 pieces. Anyone brave enough to tell me what the puzzle is? Come on, it's only 200 pieces. All right, this is what the puzzle is. Is that what you envisioned in your mind? Yes, uh, yeah. (laughs) Next week we're going to preach on lying. It's only 200 pieces. But think now in the 21st century. There are 7 billion pieces on the earth. Think of what has preceded us. Think of what is going to follow us. And we get one piece that we imperfectly understand The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? I get one piece and it's deceitful and wicked and I can't even understand myself. And I get one piece. And I stand back and I say, God, what are you doing? God, have you considered this? God, these are the steps I want you to do for my preferred future. And I act as though with my one piece In a seven billion piece puzzle world, plus what is preceded and what is to follow, that I understand all that God is doing in the panoramic view. And yet that's exactly what Habakkuk does to God. So Habakkuk gets all high and mighty. And he says in chapter 2 verse 1, I'm going to stay on the rampart until you, God, answer me. Don't you love the subtlety of verses 3 and 4? Did you pick up what God said? He said, no worries, no worries. I'm going to answer you at the appointed time. Not earlier, be willing to wait. I'm going to suggest it's a long wait for Habakkuk. He's going to need that shade lounge and that umbrella as he waits for God to answer him. And yet that's what Habakkuk is asking God to do. Now I don't know how difficult it was to wait in the 7th century B.C., but I know how hard it is to wait in the 21st century A.D. Sometimes when my computer doesn't instantly go where I want it to go, I get on my phone and I say, Jolene, please come fix this thing. Because she can fix it and I'm just going to hit it. I mean, it might make me wait four seconds, which is four and a half seconds too long. What happens when we're hungry and we're on the road? We go to very unhealthy fast foods, right? What happens when we want a movie? We no longer go to the movie theater, not that often. We have Netflix that's on our device right then and there. We live in an instant gratification world we buy things now and unfortunately try and pay later. Or we make very poor moral choices for a little bit of pleasure now with ramifications later. Why are newspapers crumbling in our country? It's because we can get our news instantaneously on the web. We don't talk about, I want it tomorrow. We say, I want it yesterday. And it's more than a cliche. It's the It's the heartbeat of us. But God says to Habakkuk, he says to us, I'm going to act in my timetable. Wait for it. I'm going to act at the appointed time. Wait for it. And then you will see all that I am doing. And in the meantime, the just shall live by faith. How are we to act as we wait to see all that God is doing? We are to walk not by sight, we are to walk by faith. That's the original usage of the passage that Martin Luther cited to himself when he came to a saving knowledge of Christ. That we wait on God, that we live for God, that we honor God, that we glorify God, because the just shall live by faith. It's only three Hebrew words. I'll spare all of us what they are. But three Hebrew words, the just. Who are the just? The just are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The just are those who have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. In all of history, nobody has been saved without a redeemer. Those who preceded Christ here on earth the hypostatic union, God becoming man, they look forward to the coming Redeemer and they place their faith in Him. We who are 2,000 years past His earthly reign, we look back on the Redeemer. Nobody has ever been saved outside of faith in the Redeemer. The just are not those who always act right or have the right thought or attitude or motive or avoid all the wrong things. The just are those who have been covered with the righteousness of Christ because we believed in Christ as Savior. The just, by faith, shall walk. That's actually how it reads. So the second word is by faith. How do the just walk? By faith. You see, we enter salvation by faith, believing in Christ as a payment of our sin, and then we continue in salvation, by faith. Not looking around to see how the world is doing it. Not looking for the approval of the world, but the approval of God. Soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God we live. The fifth point of the Reformation. That's how we live out our lives. It's for God's glory. So the just by faith shall live. It's not just coming to Christ. It's living for Christ each and every day that God gives us here on earth. Habakkuk has lost sight of his role. Somehow, rather than being the spokesman for God to the people, he becomes his own spokesman to God and he expects God to answer him as though he has a vantage point to understand all the moving parts, plus the prehistory and the future history. And he says, God, I'm gonna wait in the rampart until you answer me. And God responds, no Habakkuk. I'm not giving you the answer until the appointed time. But until then, this is how you are to live. You are to walk by faith. And then God gives him five things. He gives us five things we are to avoid. They're the five woes in the text. Now, if you've been walking with the Lord any amount of time, or you've read in scripture a fair amount, you know that when God says woe, you don't want any part in it. Woe is not good. So God's going to give us five ways that those who walk by faith, are to avoid. Five things we are to avoid. The first woe is halfway through verse six. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble. Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. The first woe is greed. If you're walking by faith, not by sight, if you're part of the just who walks by faith, you and I seek to avoid greed. Now it's easy to pick on institutional greed. I'll do that first. Some of you know about payday loans or title loans. The last year it was recorded in Wisconsin 2015, the average interest rate for a payday loan was 545%. And I checked it with an individual who happens to be in this room who would know. It is a correct amount. 545%. So if you borrowed $400 and you paid it off three months later, you would actually owe $545.00 on that $400 loan. Needless to say, we don't want to do business like that. It's easy to pick on institutional greed. But he's talking to people. He's talking to people who are not always satisfied with what we have, who are looking at what others have and are wanting what others have and are lusting after what belongs to others. And whether one considers himself lower class, middle class, upper class, there's always something more, always something more. And God says, whoa, woe! My people are to walk by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by faith. And greed should not be among us. The second woe is bullying, starting in verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harms. You have devised shame for your house. You have cut off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. You see, when we're greedy, sometimes it slides into bullying, taking advantage of those who are in an inferior position, who are weaker than us, to take what they have to add to our stash. And God says, woe. Christ followers, those who are just, they shall live by faith. We need to avoid bullying. We need to avoid greed. The third is devaluing of life. The third woe, verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire. That's all they get. They work all day, they only get a little fire. And nations weary themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's the devaluing of life. Babylon devalued life. They ransacked Egypt. They ransacked Assyria. They ransacked Judah. They murdered indiscriminately. They devalued life. And we live in a society that devalues life. We have abortion on demand in our own country and multiple countries. We legalize euthanasia in multiple states because lives aren't worth being valued, and we forget that we are made in the Imago day. And so woe to greed, woe to bullying, woe to devaluing life, and the fourth woe is objectifying people. It's all sorts of intimacy gone awry. Verse 19. Oh, no, excuse me. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk. Why? In order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and on it goes. The fourth woe is about objectifying people. Seeing people as objects. Sex objects. Conquests. And voyeurism reigns and And internet pornography reigns and prostitution reigns. And God says you will drink the cup. And drinking the cup is not sharing a Coke. It's a cup of wrath of God. And God says, woe. Woe to greed. Woe to bullying. Woe to devaluing life. Woe to objectifying people. And finally, woe to idolatry. Verse 19 Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The last woe is idolatry. Now, perhaps you're here today and you say, well, okay. I I could check off two or three of these, but that last one, (laughs) not for me. I don't have anything, wood, stone, metal, that I worship and bow before. That one doesn't play in 21st century central Wisconsin. But of course, idolatry is anything or anyone, even a good thing, that is more important in our life than God. We can turn a spouse, a good thing, into an idol. We can turn children and grandchildren into an idol, a job or a bank account into an idol. Anything that is more important in our lives than God Almighty is an idol. And God says, whoa, whoa. Now we could be beaten up at this point. We could be discouraged. But instead, the text is encouraging. It says, if you're a Christ follower, if you have the imputed righteousness of God, the justice of God in your life, you ask to have the Holy Spirit and ask him each day to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the fruit of self-control, to empower us by our spirit to turn from these woes of greed and bullying and devaluing life and objectifying individuals and the like, idolatry, turn from these woes and towards the Lord because the just shall live by faith. What does living by faith look like? It's making the centrality of Scripture, the centrality of our life. It's embracing the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ and sharing that gospel with others. It's caring for the least of these rather than the greed and bullying that take advantage of the least of these. I think of my youngest daughter, Hannah, Hannah don't tell her I brought her up in a sermon. Uh, Last Saturday, we drove down to Chicago to drop her off because she's organizing mission trips in the inner city for missionary groups. And uh, when we drove into the place where we're dropping her off, I saw lots of languages other than English. Several of the languages my wife or I could read so we could tell her what was on the buildings. But I realized that She was in an area that mom and dad could not protect her. We couldn't. She's going to an area where I'm unfamiliar and I'm a little concerned. But what she's doing is she's taking the gospel into people who are underprivileged. Not bullying, not greedy, not devaluing life but valuing people made in the image of God who need to hear the gospel. And that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to care for people, to love people, to share the gospel with people, and to have a mindset that is not just about now, but much more about eternity, solely Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. That's what it means to walk by faith, Not by sight. That's what it means that the just shall live by faith. We're going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to close in just a minute. But we're going to read the end of the book. Chapter 3, 17 and 18. Because this is what Habakkuk learns. This is what we're going to learn in the last sermon on Habakkuk. Chapter 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom... If you've been to Israel, you know that between figs and olives, that's like 98% of the trees. So it's not good if the fig tree is not blossoming. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vine, the produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off in the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. That is, everything that we depend on is taken from us. Though all that happens... Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's what it means to walk with eyes of faith. It's not that we ignore the here and now we don't, but something is much more important, and that's the life to come. The life to come for all people. And so we pour ourselves in to investing, to living out kingdom principles for God's glory, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. That's what it means for the just to live by faith. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes things happen, things occur that we would not expect, that we haven't planned for. Things we've come to rely on, are taken from us, or moved away from us, and yet we trust in you. Sometimes sickness occurs, or death strikes, or there's too much month left at the end of a paycheck, or relationships go south, or we have a quagmire in Washington that solves very little, yet what well, we trust in you. May we learn to walk by faith, not by sight. May we be among the just who walk by faith. Empower us this way, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.